two weeks ago, the Lord gave me a word. You can go. And that word was about his ways. Walking in his ways, finding his ways, looking at his ways. One of the things he said in the beginning of that message that stirred my heart, really. He said, we come, we, most of us, come with an expectation to see his works. And we look to see what God's going to do in his action rather than realizing what he is doing in his presence. We watch out for miracles and think that if we see a miracle, that will move us. And we miss the miracle who is in us. We make predictions about what church is going to be. And in doing so, we miss what church is. God has a plan that is absolute. You can sit down. God has a plan that is dynamic. God has a plan that will fulfill everything he has said. He is determined his plan will rule out. His plan will win. He is determined in it. His ways say it. His manner presents it. His methods predict it. And his word declares it. This is the literary expression of the living God. If all you ever do is read it by chapter and verse so you can quote verses and fail to realize the life that it is, Paul said this word is life. It's like a two-edged sword. It'll come into your being and it will divide the thoughts and intents of the heart and make clear what's going on, not to condemn, but to cleanse. It's like a surgical knife. It's there to remove junk, but it's also there to heal where the junk was. This expression of God is more than a book that you look at. It's more than words you read on a page. It is alive. It is vibrant. Thank you, Larry. It is vibrant. It is a powerful, power-packed expression of God. We're going to whip this. God said he wants us to know his ways. To get beyond the excitement of a Sunday fix by having what we call the ooey-gooey goosebumps or the hair raising up on the back of our neck. Because if that happens, we can go out whether we preach or not and say, boy, did we have church today. Last Sunday, somebody told me, "I I think we're quenching the spirit. This was during and after the worship time. And I said, well, that's an interesting concept. Because if you think we're quenching the spirit, how are we doing that? Well, we just move on into something else. And so my question then to him and my question is to you. Did the something else 
produce more than what had been. I don't know if you know it or not, but this altar was lined with people, most of whom I had never seen before. Over here, a young lady was delivered. Over here, a young lady was delivered and saved, gave her heart to the Lord. Throughout this area were people being ministered to in depth of life, deep into their hearts and souls because the struggles had been great and they were in trial and God was setting them free. You want the spirit to move, began to move with the spirit. You want God's power to reveal, then stand up in power and reveal him. God's ways are tremendous. They're not past finding out because that would be impossible considering he says, I dwell in you. I live in you. Well, if he lives in us, obviously his ways are moving within us. Sometimes we're just not watching. Jesus said at one point, he who has eyes to see, let him see. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. People say, well, he's not talking to me. I've said that. I've said it many times in my life, I'm not hearing God. And God pulled me up one day and he said, well, then you shut up and listen. <laughs> now, it does sound funny, but it's real. Because we get so caught up in what we think ought to be, we miss what is and what God is. The first way that I want you to know about is God is love. 1 John 4 says it, God is love. Plain, simple, God is love. It isn't that God loves, it is who he is. He can't do anything else but. That's why Jesus, when Nicodemus came to him in John 14, or John 3 rather, I'm sorry, John 3. Nicodemus comes to him by night so he won't get caught by his religious friends. Some of you are showing up. It's not night, but you're still sneaking in. And Nicodemus started asking questions. What is going on? What is this all about? Who are you really? What's happening that's going on around us? And Jesus opens up and he begins to lay out the entire thing. And he gets to verse 16. And I want you today... I, that's the last time I'm going to call a verse number. I want you to get beyond chapters and numbers and get into the book. Chapters and numbers are given to us to help us to study, but they will tie us up sometimes from getting the whole of the story. And Jesus says to him, he said, for God, his father, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And God sent his son into the world, not to condemn the world. Not to condemn the world. But that the world, through him, will be saved. 
The ways of God are love. The intent of God is to love. The purpose of God is to love. The will of God is always that we love. It is said that we ought to love one another. Jesus said that. We ought to love one another. He said, as I have done with you and I have loved you, you are to love one another. The whole book of John is filled with this dissertation from Jesus in showing the ways of God. At one time, Philip said, well, all right, Jesus was expressing to him about the Father. And so Philip pipes up, as we are often apt to do. You know it's better to be thought foolish than to open your mouth and prove it. So Philip comes up and he says, show us the Father and that'll be sufficient. Jesus wasn't really upbraiding him. He was expressing to him what he has been. And he says, have I been so long time with you? Have you not known me? Have you not seen the Father working in me? Everything you've seen in me is from the Father. I do nothing of myself, but I do only that which the Father has shown me. I speak nothing out of my own thought in my mouth. I speak only what the Father wants me to say. Have you not known me, church? Have I been so long in your midst in this earth, and yet still you do not know me? I walk within your path. I am with you always. And yet you say you don't hear when I'm always talking. As a matter of fact, I've never shut up. I continue to woo you. I continue to reach out. Doesn't my word say? My ear is always open to hear the cry of the righteous and my arm is consistently stretched out. To deliver. Between prophesying and preaching, it gets a little twisted sometimes, so you got to bear it out. God wants you and I to understand from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 21. I apologize, I said I wouldn't call any more verses. But in essence, it's to get the point across the whole of the book is vital. In fact, it says this book is written by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit into the hearts and lives of men who lived it, who walked it, who saw it happen, who were participators in the divine nature of God himself through Jesus Christ. And they have delivered to you and I a treatise that says we too can walk in this power. We too can live in this realm. We too can abide in this purpose. We can see God in his glory. We sang the song, show us your glory. And I'm standing here looking at it. Imagine for me with, with, for just a minute, and imagine's not really appropriate word. Christ in you. The anointing and the anointed one of God lives in you. 
And we're still saying, show us your glory. We have a vapor machine that looks like smoke and some like it and some don't. But if God filled this house, you know what it would look like? I've seen the smoke of God's presence. I've watched as he's come in in that manner. We're not trying to fake it. It's just some think it's pretty. But it's neither here nor there if you're looking for God to be in you and walk in his ways. In Genesis, Adam is made. In the image of God created he male and female. He made them. He walked with them. The Bible says he would come into the garden and he would walk with them and be with them on a constant basis. He walked with them. He talked with them. He, he communed with them. He rejoiced with them. He laughed with them. He moved in. He loved them tremendously. And they faltered. Justice had to move and move them out. Fellowship was tainted and they lost ground. So Cain comes along. And Cain marries the daughters of men, a daughter from men. Later we see where it says, and the sons of God married the daughters of men. Demonic forces presenting themselves as female caught Cain and produced terrible things. Demonic forces presenting themselves as males got thin with the females and produced giants and terrible things. The very creation that walked with God in the garden has now been perverted by the creation that had to be thrown out of heaven. And it became a despicable mess to the point we got all the way to Noah and God said, that's it. I've had enough. And he deals with it. Judgment had to come from Adam, for Adam because for, by one man's sin, one man's transgression, death has entered into the world. By one man's transgression, sin has taken an upper hand. So we get all the way to Romans, thank God by one man's righteous act, it's all been taken care of. Noah comes along, does what he's supposed to do in a whole new generation of people, a whole new plan. Understanding in the vernacular that is God. Every DNA in existence today was represented in Noah and his sons and daughters and daughters-in-law. Every race, every tongue. I, I told you this one time and I want you to get it again. The term race is not biblical unless you're running on a track. It is a human construct, not a God position. Ethnicities are real. God created us all. Tribes formed out of that in the wisdom and the way of God to present us all to himself. 
I was in a church in Memphis one time and it was, it was a conference and the guys were all talking and different ones would come up and it was a very mixed crowd of people. Several of them got to talking about God is colorblind. I'm talking about the ways of God now. Saying God is colorblind. And it came my turn. And as I am wont to do, I stepped in it. The most stupid comment ever made is God is colorblind. Have you seen his creation? Have you looked lately at a blue sky? Have you seen snowtop mountains and the colors that he has created in a rainbow? Have you looked lately around you and seen the colors of this house? And how beautiful all of them are. Because when God was finished with creation, he said, it is good. He said, it is good. And he never changed his mind. He said, it is good. The creation was good. The fault was bad. What he made was tremendous. What fell was terrible. But his creation was good and still is. When you and I look around, we should see the beauty in the glory of God. Because however he made you, his glory is presented in and through you. To walk in his glory. We get out of Noah. All the generations start coming up and here comes a man named Abram. Abram comes into the mix. He's called out of Ur, a Chaldean area that is filled with idolatry. And, and, and I, want to t I will tell you before I'm done, much of our statues came out of the Chaldeans. The idols that you think are wonderful came from the Chaldean sun worshipers. Abram came out of there. God called him out and he said, here's what I'm going to do. He made a choice. He chose Abram. Out of all the people of the earth, God said, I'm going to choose you. And out of you, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. I'm going to walk with you and I'm going to make you your, your seed as the sands of the seashore. Ishmael comes along the man of the flesh, born from Hagar, the daughter of Pharaoh, a daughter of Pharaoh, one of many. Hagar comes along, she has Ishmael in this mess that Sarai decided she was going to create. She's going to help God. When you're walking in God's ways, you're going to learn, I don't have to help him. He doesn't need my help. A friend of mine told me one time he was just going on and on and on talking to the Lord about all he had done. And God said, he does that. He said, huh. I won't call his name. But he said, in your best days, <laughs> you haven't helped me much. God, isn't that wonderful to hear God say? But he also said, but in your worst days, you haven't hurt me at all. Because he was teaching to get in his ways, not get in his way. Walk in him. Let him move. 
Because the scripture says in him we live and move and have our being. So Abram follows. <clears throat> Finally, he believes the promise and becomes Abraham. In believing the promise, he sees the glory of God in seeing Isaac born. He walks with God into the time when God said, take him up to the mountain and let's, let's, let's offer him up as a sacrifice. He watched God do it. Abraham knew God's ways. Therefore, he didn't fear to walk in them. What looked horrible, what looked destructive, what looked like it was going to be a real problem turned into a great blessing for you and I. And Isaac bore Jacob. He also bore Esau. And here Esau, it says, God loved Jacob. But he didn't love Esau. He chose Jacob, but Esau was set aside. Now, here's the thing to remember about that. Esau, in being set aside, still became a great nation. And that great nation that was set aside became a great hindrance to the greatest nation. He that has an ear, let him hear. So throughout the scriptures then we come up and now we've got Saul. Saul falls apart, loses his place as king. David comes into the kingship. David's a man after God's own heart, but he's also a man. He goes through all kinds of crazy stuff, does stupid things, but he's still a man, but he's still a man after God's own heart. And out of David's lineage came the Christ. And it's interesting to note that that Christ came from a Moabite woman named Ruth. And before that came through a harlot in Jericho named Rahab. And now all of a sudden, we've got the Christ, the Messiah. Out of all of these hodgepodge, what we would call hodgepodge, mess of people, God's plan is developing. It's design is coming to pass. When I look at the scriptures and I read how God said to Moses in the law, and he said, this is what you're going to do. This is what I'm laying out for you. This is here. You do this. You follow this. Believe me, follow my commandments. And in those commandments, he said, it is God who causes you to get wealth. It is God who will take care of you. It is God who anoints you for healing. He said, I, I have chosen you as my own. I'm going to bring you through this wilderness and I'm going to put you back where I originally started Abram. Called a promised land. You're going to be met with tribes of people. I want you to understand something. Second Samuel. He says there, God's ways are perfect. His ways are just. Justice is in God. But he says, when they come, Joshua, you're to wipe them out. You're not to leave any alive. Because whatever you leave alive out of this earth in their positions will vex you in the future. But they made a compact with Gideon. 
Anyhow, the people of Gibeah fooled them. <clears throat> so they bring them in and they make a covenant. They become a snare. They become a problem. We go on. We get into the kings. And in the kings, we find out they're told, <clears throat> wipe them out. And the kings, they're going to be real cool. We're not going to kill them. God said, wipe them out, every animal, every person, everything. Remembering God's ways are justice. And we're not doing that nowadays. Thank God we live in the New Testament generation of wonder. But in the Old Testament, in the book, <clears throat> he's revealing his plan to keep us safe. He's revealing his plan to keep us delivered. He's showing his ways in walking us in righteousness. He's laying out for you and I what it means to be in him. And anything we let come in from this earth and come into this position of mankind and life that you and I live as Christians will hinder us. <clears throat> God said what will happen is you'll start getting into their idols. You'll start worshiping their idols. You'll start allowing your children to be burned. You don't have the God Molech in the Valley of Anam. We have abortion clinics. We don't have liberty in a statue in the, in the port of New York. That statue is the product of a demonic force that ruled in various parts of the world. And it's called liberty. And it has deceived the church into believing that we have lived in the land of liberty. We have walked in the land of freedom all the while from day to day, year to year, getting back a little more and a little more and a little more into bondage. Because we trusted in a statue and a principle from a statue which was an idol. And we've gotten ourselves in a mess. And God says, I want you to know my ways. Stop looking at the idols as a place and a means and look to me. That statue, but in the front of the Supreme Court, is another statue built in the image of a demonic Entity. And it's called justice. And it's tricked the church into moving our minds away from God who is justice into a principle and a plan that is not justice, but it, it is a disguise and has created a distraction. And rather than to look to God for the justice that is needed in this hour, we try to look to the courts, to the lawyers. I don't want to offend anybody, but this is where we are. And if you're an attorney, bless you, because you're in a tough place. Very tough place. But we also have a medical profession that has an idol sticking up. It's a cross with a serpent wrapped around it. 
And it's to present the image that we have the answers to disease. And the church has given themselves to trusting in the idol of the cross with the serpent as being our means for health. And it's a distraction that has brought us to destruction. We are in a time and in a position where God is saying, I'm calling you to account. I'm calling you to account. Much of our services are built in manners that follow worldly principle rather than godly plan. Now, I will say not much of it here, but it does happen. And it happens because of the very thing God said is going on. You're looking to come with an anticipation of seeing a miracle and calling it the glory rather than basking in the presence and knowing the glory. We're looking to have things happen rather than realize the happening is in here right now. I'm telling you, I'm opening up an altar. And I'm opening it right now. And if anything strikes you in the next few minutes, I want you to grasp what is going on and run to this altar. I've given a man instruction. If you can't kneel, there'll be somebody bring a chair and put it right behind you as you sit here and commune with God and get it right. But in everything I'm talking about, God always had a plan to rescue. When the prophets of old began to declare certain things are going to happen, he always revealed a plan to rescue. To the churches of Revelation, this is what's going on in you, he said, but return to your first love. Get back to me. Put away uh, Jezebel. Get rid of your idols. Throw out these things. Come back to the purposes that I've created. What is he doing? He's calling us back to him because God's ways is always redemptive. His ways are always redemptive. His ways are always redemptive. However and whatever you have done, he can redeem you. I've watched him redeem some of the most loathsome pedophiles and turn their hearts in the right direction. I've watched him take murderers and deliver them and make them preachers. I've seen God do phenomenal things. And see, we, we label these statements like murderers and pedophiles, but I have equally watched God take an adulterer who pours their heart out to him in sorrow and asks for forgiveness. And I've seen God's love wrap around them and I've seen God pull them in and I've watched him love them through and bring victory into their hearts. <clears throat> I've watched God redeem. I, he redeemed me. He redeemed me. I've got a testimony that I can't even share with you. He redeemed me. And if he can redeem me, I'm like Paul. I was the chiefest of sinners. 
Ah, no, no, no. Well, I didn't kill anybody, but I did a lot of things. And he saved me. It doesn't matter what you have done in this fact of God's redemptive plan. He can bring you out. I've knelt down with homosexuals whose lives were racked with pain, whose bodies were dying of AIDS, who's, who's, who was looking at an eternity of hell and watched God fill them with his presence, fill them with his love, bring them. I was standing there over a hospital bed with a man with AIDS and laying my hands on him when they told you don't ever touch him. Don't ever get there. You, if it'll, it can be deadly to you. And I watched God save them right there in that. They died, but they went to heaven. Their lives were transformed in a hospital bed facing death because the love of God is rich. The love of God is pure. The love of God is measureless. The love of God will forever endure. The love of God will never fail. If you think the love of God has failed, go back to rule number one. Love never fails. We fail all the time. We fail one another in church. We don't listen to you in the way you think we should, and you get all upset. You don't listen to us in the way we think you should, and we get all upset. We wonder, and sometimes we quit, and sometimes we quit wondering. But God still is a redemptive God. In his plan, it's a plan of absolute redemption, love, mercy, grace, and goodness. If I want to know the ways of God, all I have to do is study out the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, long-suffering, temperance, kindness, goodness, the ways of the fruit of the Spirit are the ways of God. If I want to know the power of God, all I have to do is look at the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit are laid out for us in word of knowledge, word of wisdom, tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecies, healings, workings of miracles, and all the rest. And I see God in action because every one of those gifts are for the purpose of redemption. Every one of them, because Paul said in, in Corinthians, he said, if I don't have love, it doesn't matter if I can do all this stuff. I'm just sounding brass and tinkling cymbals and wasted air. Because the ways of God who works through the gifts of the Spirit are always redemptive. Prophecy is always to be redemptive. Prophecy is always to exhort and build up. Prophecy is always to encourage and deliver. Prophecy comes from God for the sole purpose of building up his church. And then if I want to know the, the, the authority of God, I can go and I can look at the gifts. The Bible says that Jesus, he himself, some of you may have studied that in your uh, life groups. He himself gave to the church some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. And he goes on in that dissertation and he says, here's the purpose. If you want to know the, the authority of God, if you want to know the administration of God, if you want to know the plan of how I work, look at what I set up in my church and start following it. Watch what I will do. If you look at how God said, I built my body so that every joint supplies. Now there's two things that are funny and I want you to grasp them. 
You're a joint. Now, anybody who's ever been around the marijuana culture knows that term. I came to grips with it one day. I'm a joint. But I'm also a dirtbag. Hummus is dirt. Man is bag. I'm a human dirtbag. Without God, I'm lost and I'll return to dirt. Without God, I have no hope. Without God, I'm flailing around. Even if, even when he, even when he was with me and I didn't know it, I was flailing around in foolishness and he was there all the time. He was there all the time. He's been there and he's never left. He's redemptive. If I'm going to know God's ways, I'm going to have to watch the people around me and see how they move. Not in church, out here. You want an experience? Start considering I'm going to go to Walmart to see the ways of God. I've even thought of buying me a Walmart suit. Anybody know what Walmart suits are? Flannel pajamas? I particularly like the checkered ones. <clears throat> but even in that funniness, there are people praying, praying in the aisles of Walmart for someone who's in trouble. I can go here in, in, in Cape to Snooks and there's somebody going to be prayed for if they'll open their heart and the church will listen. Wherever we go, I can pull up to a gas pump, which by the way, Walmart and Jackson's better at price. But kids down here on King's Highway is a little bit cheaper than the rest of them. But I can go there and be at a gas pump and somebody across needs to know about my Jesus. And he'll push me. You come to a place. Do you know my Jesus? Do you know my friend? Have you heard that he loves you? And he will abide with you to the end. Do you know him today? An old altar song we used to sing, please don't turn him away. Jesus. I want to ask you, do you really know him? Or like Philip, are you saying, show us? And he's saying, I've been with you all this time. You should know by now my intentions and my purposes. I'm talking to you. People out here that don't even know the name are waiting on you to shout out his fame. People out here who have no idea that there's a redemptive plan are waiting on you to take a stand. 
I'm not a poet, but God is. So you just have to put, bear with it. Are you ready to walk in this way? Are you ready to sign up as a Christian at Christ church and say, I'm going to be a part of this ministry. I'm going to be a part of what God's going to do. I am putting myself in a position where I am going to establish my heart in a firm foundation. I am committed to walk in the ways of God and see the glory of God and walk in the purposes of God. And I will be transformed into his image by Christ Jesus to fulfill everything he's called me to be. And do everything he's called me to do. There's a person in here that every week, a people in here, every week come in and clean various portions of the church. You know what they're doing? They're helping to manifest the glory. Ah, oh, they're just clean. No, they're helping to manifest the glory. They're bringing this house to a place of excellence. They're working to see that this place looks good. They're working to see that we put on a good, good image. They're working to see that what is happening here will be a pleasant experience. There's others who are working in other ways and they're saying, this is what I want to do. This is what I feel to do. There are churches right now that have absolute long waiting lists of people who want to run vacuum cleaners. We're not one of them. I had a young man going into ministry. He came. We handed him a bucket and a stool brush. I want to be in ministry. I know that's what you're doing. Another guy, he wanted to be in ministry. We happened to have a big old barbecue cooker. I mean, this thing would hold, hold three whole hogs and cook them on a weekend. And one of the men in the church owned the cooker and they were cooking whole hogs every weekend and selling it and putting money into programs that were reaching hard to, hard to reach kids that were reaching what we call latchkey kids that were reaching out to neighborhoods that were some of the worst in the city and they were reaching out in a way and they still are today. 1995 is when it started and it's still prospering today. Why? Because somebody was willing but one of the guys that wanted to be in ministry, we put him out there watching the, the grill, watching the cooker. And he'd throw his wood in and he'd get all the stuff done. And one day he came in and he had no eyebrows <laughs> and a sunburn. I said, welcome to the ministry. My daughter started a youth group. We didn't have much money in those days. I, I got her an old van, Dodge, 15-passenger van, ugly thing. Had some rattles. But she had to take a group of kids to uh, whatever it was in Atlanta before Forward came. They had a thing over there, Acquire the Fire or something like that. She gets in that van and takes off and gets to Marietta, Georgia, north of Atlanta, and the van breaks down right on the interstate, right by a ramp. And she calls me and said, Dad, the van broke down. What am I going to do? I said, welcome to the ministry. <laughs> of course, she said, that's not really an answer. 
And I said, no, but here's what you do. And what happened was, is just around the corner off the ramp was a garage that was willing to help and take care of everything. And we got it fixed up. So somebody got the kids and they got them where they were going to go. They got to where they were going to go and they had, it was a camp out thing. <clears throat> so they put all their tents up. They put all their stuff up. They got everything ready. They were ready for a night of worship. It was going to be a terrific time. And the ceiling broke of the clouds and it started raining and everything they owned got soaked and everything they owned fell into the water and everything they owned got muddy and they were in a miserable mess. And you had kids from an inner city place that had never been out of town, let alone to something like this. And now they're all upset kids who couldn't get their curling irons going, kids who couldn't get their hair combed out straight, kids who were in a terrible mess. This also happened, by the way, in Cancun, not the beach, the inner city. These things are what has formed our lives and our kids' lives. In them, we've seen God's glory because we've watched souls be saved. They were on the Hopi reservation ministering to the Hopi Indian youth as well as the Navajo youth. And a medicine man decided he was going to disrupt. He threw all that white dust all over his horse, all over himself, took his clothes off all but a loincloth and went riding around chanting. One of the young people, not the adults, one of the young people, gather around, we're going to pray. They took authority over that spirit. They took authority over that enemy. They took authority over that demon. The old Hopi medicine man just rode off into the sunset. And they had a great meeting where people were filled with God's presence and lives were changed. Ministry. Well, yeah, but that's that. Yeah, but right here, right now, there are people who come in who don't know Jesus waiting for you to be an example, waiting for you to show the love of God, waiting for you to be a part of what God wants to do. I was in Accra, Ghana, and at that time, several Somalians had come across, escaped Somalia and come across and stopped in Accra. And I was preaching in a meeting that night, and these young men who had escaped such torment Scars, scars, visible scars had a place in the front of that tabernacle. And I call it that because it was an open air place, had a place in front of that. And I've never seen such exuberant joy dancing in the glory of God in all my days. Because they understood real liberty. They understood real power. They understood real authority. They understood real grace. And they certainly understood real mercy. Why? Because God is a merciful God. He set us up today to know his ways. His ways. His ways are good. His ways are justice. His ways are perfect. We may not understand them all, but if we'll listen long enough, he'll make them clear his ways. This church wants to walk in his ways. This church wants to talk 
his ways. This church wants to minister in the power of his ways. This church wants to see deliverance in the authority based on his ways. And it's time to move in it like we never have before. If I can get somebody up here. It's time to move in his ways. It's time to lay aside petty differences. Well, you don't care about this or you don't care about that or you don't care about me or you don't care about them or you don't care or you don't 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 or you don't. I want you to quit it and start looking at what we do. Stop letting the enemy say we don't. And start realizing what we do. Because what we do is present a place where people from every walk of life can walk in and be saved. Every kind of person that you can imagine can come in these doors and be loved. Everywhere they go in this life, they're rejected. But let them walk in these doors to be accepted. We are an accepting place. We don't accept the demons. We don't accept the sin. We don't accept perversion. But we accept you. And the neat part of accepting you is if you'll come, you won't live with that junk very long because Jesus will set you free. I've had drug addicts sit in the chair in terrible condition. And literally ruin the chair that we had to throw it out. But watch them be free. I've watched them who were dedicated to Satan at birth. 53 years of their life in torment. In five days of prayer, totally set free. The love of God. The mercy of God based on delivering the power of God. Think of what I'm telling you. There's a lot going on. There's a whole group of enemies, demonic forces, that have set about to pick this one off, that one off. Create this conflict, create that struggle, create this problem, and pick you off. We pray for you. We pray for you that when you are tried, your faith won't fail. But I've watched him. I've watched that spirit's hand reach out and try to get hold of you. Try to get hold of our young people and pervert their minds. Try to get a hold of our people, middle-aged people. I don't even know what that is anymore. We're old enough now, we can't even, con our concept of middle age doesn't mean what it used to. I didn't think I'd live this long, but God did. So I don't even know what middle age is for me. I'm pretty sure I'm past it. But those of you who are not, His love is reaching 